Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow. Mad cow. Mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Sign Guy Nation, welcome to another show on a Friday afternoon. Sign Guy with you as normal. Some show notes today before we jump into things with our guest. If you are looking for some professional wrestling tonight, WCWO at the Outlaw Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana, FGW in Hamilton, Ohio, Brew City Wrestling in Waukesha, Wisconsin, Micro Championship Wrestling in Kokomo, Indiana, and World of Hurt in North Bennington, Vermont. Tomorrow night, you can find myself at Combat Pro Wrestling in Marysville, Washington. Two shows tomorrow, 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. at the Strawberry Festival. Northwest Pro making a trip over to the east side of the state. They will be in Spokane Valley, Washington. Brew City Wrestling returning to Waukesha, Wisconsin tomorrow. ECW in Jeffersonville, Indiana for a memorial for the late Sean Patrick O'Brien. DCCW in Muncie, Indiana. EPW in Bedford, Indiana. Supreme happening in North Vernon, Indiana tomorrow. FWF in Rochester, Indiana. ECW in Dixon, Tennessee. SCW in New Lexington, Ohio. NEW in Shelbyville, Indiana. World of Hurt in Burlington, Vermont. EPW in Bristol, Connecticut. And Pro Wrestling After Dark in Atlantic City, New Jersey tomorrow night. Without any further ado, I want to welcome our guest to the show today. He is out of the great state of Massachusetts. He is the host of the popular show, The Wrestling Connection. He is a writer over at uh, Game Track, the uh, Game Rant, rather. He is Kenny Hill. Kenny, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you here today. I'm honored to be on here. Thank, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Mr. Sign Guy. Uh, I, uh, I I was reached out to a, couple, a few weeks ago. Uh, I got the big invite, and um, I've since then I've chimed in. I've uh, chimed in on a couple of your podcasts, and I've been really looking forward to this. Delighted to have you, and since it is your first time here, I'm going to lead you off today with our traditional first-timer question. What got you into the professional wrestling industry? Well, um, I mean, it goes, like, all the way back, like, 20-plus years uh, when I was a teen. Uh, essentially, I, 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 have one of my, I have one of my old friends to thank, uh, David Gelinas, uh Bedford, Mass., he he first introduced me to uh, the art of professional wrestling, and um, I instantly became attached to it. 
I mean, I love the drama. I love the emotion. I love how everything – I know people get on for how exaggerated it tends to be. That's actually kind of what I like about it as an autistic, just because it's, it's so much easier to pick up on and anticipate. It, it's just – it's just so much. It's it's kind of. I mean, it's kind of like how much I I love improv. It's just like being able to to try and guess and anticipate what's going to happen next. Well, like I said, you host the show, the Wrestling Connection, and we don't get a lot of people that do sort of the televised wrestling talk shows. What led to you getting into that realm of the business? Well, it's just since, I mean, when I had graduated from Salem State in 2012, uh, I graduated with um, a bachelor's in journalism. I mean, I did spend a couple of years doing some sports writing. I was, I was, I was doing some part-time work there. I was mainly just kind of like hopping from job to job, working at gas stations, at Brugger's. And it's just like, I kind of felt like I was sort of drifting. I wasn't really doing as much as I could with, um, with my degree. And like, initially I started out liking sports writing, but it just became so tedious because I didn't have as much a vested interest in baseball or football. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm a big Red Sox fan, a big Patriots fan, but it's just like it was more fun just, you know, kind of like, you know, playing arm seat quarterback that, than, you know, you know, actually getting in there and write, writing about it. And it's just like – but when it came to pro wrestling, it's just – I just found myself – I couldn't stop talking about it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I mean, you can call it an obsession. You can call it whatever. It was all consuming, but I didn't really have an outlet for it. So there was a uh, regular uh, who came into the Brugger's in, into the Brugger store I worked at in Bedford, uh, Brian Dorrington. He was a producer uh, for for Bedford T- Bedford TV, uh, local local broadcast network in uh, in Bedford, Massachusetts. Uh, he asked me, well, how would you like to come in sometime and just spend a half hour talking about wrestling? Like, and then he, and then he asked, like, do you have a name for the show? And I just kind of, I just kind of threw it out there just because I'd been connected to wrestling for so long. It'd been, it wasn't just one of my passing hobbies as an autistic. It just, it's, it stuck with me for so long. It's just, you know what? I'm connected to it. My name is Ken wrestling connection. And thus it was born. Uh, getting involved in something like that, did you have any difficulties at first as far as the format of the show or figuring out guests or subject matter or anything like that, or did it come fairly easy? Well, I'll, I'll say this much. Um we try. I mean, initially it was just me doing the show um, from from a black backdrop. It was mainly just me talking about whatever came to my mind about wrestling. So we didn't initially have a format per se. As time like went on, and uh, there were more people that were brought in to be part of the show. Um, uh, my late great one of my best friends, uh, Zach Martinkus. 
he was my first he was my first co-host. Uh, he and I he and I had like a great dichotomy. We had great chemistry, and it's just then it became easier to like bounce ideas off of each other. Like we were able to come up with more ideas, more concepts for the show. Like I mean, I would have like a little like like a highlight segment talking about certain superstars. We'd we'd safely demonstrate wrestling like wrestling moves and holds. So like as time grew on, we developed more and more ideas. Now I mean, as far as the timeliness, that was that was an issue. Like at the beginning, we tried to schedule everything out. We we tried we even used like kind of like an in an in house timer and a countdown clock to like keep track of each of our segments. But event it just it was more trouble than it was worth. Eventually we just we just decided to just wing it, just you know devote a ha- like a half an hour to regular shows, you know reviewing Raw, SmackDown, and the like, and devoting an hour to covering like you know making predictions for pay per views, just because there was so much more to go over like like, you know, predictions and analyzing and going into it, the outcomes, like what could be the potential aftermath of a certain victory or loss. So, I mean, honestly, so our best strategy going into shows eventually was just more or less winging it. We can come up with a few bullet points here and there, but more or less just kind of going in and doing our own thing. Oh. In your area, Massachusetts is a very rich state for wrestling history. There's been professional wrestling in Massachusetts as long as there has been professional wrestling. At one point in time in the 1930s, there were three separate world heavyweight championship lineages in the same town, which is sort of why territorial wrestling was started. Obviously, over the years, the WWF to WWF to WWE has ran there very, very regularly. The NWA has had a lot of ties to Massachusetts. There's been many, many independent promotions over the years. Do you sort of delve into the history of wrestling in Massachusetts and study what's taken place in the generations before you? Well, I mean, I mean, as far as the generations go, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because um, when I would bring up like, like my, what was, what I would be doing on a show with my family, um, my uncle, um, my uncle John uh, on my father's side, he actually mentioned that there was a something of a loose wrestling lineage within our family, well, specifically his, that I believe it was the cousin of his of his father was the was actually the the famed Golden Greek uh, Jim Londis. He he was uh, I believe the one responsible for innovating. Uh, the airplane spin, and to a lesser extent, uh, popularizing this in his time, the sleeper hold. He was actually one of the great wrestlers of the uh, of, of the depression of the Great Depression era. Now, as far as Massachusetts history goes, um, I mean, I'm familiar with several current, like current and uh, historically famous 
uh, wrestling superstars, obviously such as um, such as Matt Bloom, Eddie Edwards, of course, of course, John Cena, um, Sasha, uh, Sasha Banks, if, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. But to be perfectly honest, Massachusetts wrestling history is something I'm I'm, I'm a little bit rusty at. Like even after 20 plus years of like, you know, studying the art of pro wrestling, there's still so much I have to learn and, and pick up. And I mean, and, and, you're, and you're absolutely right. There's like so many different promotions out there in New England and in Massachusetts. There's so much, there's so much history out there. And the fact that you brought up like three separate lineages, world championship lineages was honestly something I hadn't known up until now. So I mean, the saying the saying's true. I learn something new every day. Absolutely. If you uh, look up some history books or go on a Google search, I'm sure you'll find some information. But wrestling mm-hmm. essentially became territorial because in Boston there were three separate world title lineages, which ultimately just confused the fans and was hurting business because fans felt like they couldn't keep up with what was actually happening in a sport. And so to save business, they carved out territories and made sure everybody stayed in their own individual territory rather than several promotions running in one spot, making it confusing. Right. So having everyone kind of like stay in their own lane, I mean, everyone can do their own thing, maintain their own set, separate histories, and, you know, no no wires get crossed. That was the hope and the dream. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, of course, I mean, and then you had Vince McMahon Sr., who, who wanted to keep to that tradition, who wanted to keep the territories, if, if I'm not mistaken, like I said, my hist- my wrestling history is a little bit rusty before before the 80s and 90s, um, going all the way back, like I said, to like the, the Depression years, um, and and around that time. I mean, I know I remember he was very very considerate of the territories. Like he he wanted like he basically wanted like, fair arrangements with everyone. He made promises not to not to interfere, not to go just plucking the best and brightest from each territory as he saw fit, but rather giving them the chance to evolve, to grow on their own in each territory before asking them, giving them the opportunity to come to come work for him. I mean, if, if, if I'm not mistaken, like I, like I said, my uh, – like so my wrestling history is a little bit rusty. I think you basically have it there. Okay. Uh, for yourself, obviously you uh, host the show, and mm-hmm. I know you've had some uh, guests on the show over the years and so forth, and just doing our show here, we know sometimes things go awry with the guests, some unexpected things can pop up, sometimes the interview will take a direction you didn't necessarily anticipate. Have you had that singular strangest 
guest that you've ever had where things just went in a completely different manner than you would have ever anticipated going into it? I, I think that pretty much happened like every episode was because like when like like when the producers would come to me and at, and like we'd go over like like what they wanted to do like what they could contribute to the show as far as like like you know like special effects like what you want done I honestly more or less just said I, do what you like I mean basically go go nuts. Just like we want to make this show as big and fun and loud as possible. And that's what it was. Like, so basically, like when you see me, like if you, if you watch some of the episodes and you see me kind of like, you know, like, you know, folding my hat over my head or just like rolling my eyes, it's just like, it's, that's, that's my legit, I'm not playing it. I'm not playing it up. That's my legit reaction. It's just like, so like everything was unexpected on this show. Like, whether Zach would go into one of it, one of his rants, like whether there'd be some like kooky special effect cropping up, um, like you know, like you know, random explosions or spooky dancing skeletons, um, it, it was just it, it, every it was always unexpected, and I mean that I mean that kind of ties into the old saying: expect the unexpected. You kind you kind of have to learn the role of the punches. Now, like, to answer your question, like, was there one particular guest that stood, that stood out? Um, I mean, I mean, we did have some of the other hosts of uh, Bedford TV, of uh, Bedford TV programming on. Um, I don't remember his name specifically. I, I know, but I, I remember there was a host that would come on. Basically, like, he and I kind of had sort of a mini feud, like, where we would make uh, prediction, like, we'd make predictions for a pay-per-view, and if he did better than me, he would get the host, uh, he would get the host, the show, for, for, for a day, and when he did, like, he, he basically tried to make all these changes, which we all knew wouldn't stick, he basically tried to, like, rename it after, after himself, and Zach, to a lesser extent, Zach and I would be just absolutely livid. It's just like, it's one thing like, you know, like when we have the producers hijacking the show with their special, with special effects, but we have, when we have someone coming in and even just making like, like minor changes to the show, to something we created was just that it was just enough that we just, I, I just went pulse. I just, that was the first time, like, I think I reacted more than Zach did. He's usually the wild one. I'm usually the more reserved, like like I'm basically like the straight man to his like you know, like his craziness, and it's just like I just had a complete meltdown. It's like it's my show. It's like I ha- I mean I I have like there is a certain a certain line between order and chaos on the show, and it's just like he's just trying to take it in, like you said a complete left turn, and it's just like no. Okay, you know what? No, no, no. This is where I this I draw the line in the sand. I mean that's I mean to answer your question, that's that's like one point where I just felt like oh yeah, this is this is like this is like a little too much for me. As far as the show goes, do you have any type of marketing in place 
as far as advertising the show? Do you do commercials or social media advertisements or business cards, anything like that as far as trying to get the word out and market the show? Well, the thing was, since we were working since for several for several years we were working for a nonprofit studio, we technically couldn't do advertise like like blatant advertising for the show. Like like we couldn't we couldn't market it, we couldn't make money off of it. It was essentially it was it was a labor of love for lack for lack of a better term. We were just doing what we loved. We just loved coming on. We loved talking about pro wrestling. We just, we just simply had a fun time just coming in and you know, and doing and doing what we did. Um, I mean, yes, of course, like we we try to spread a word on social media. I actually did have like several business cards printed out. I even have a little QR code on the back that would take them either to our YouTube channel or even uh, the web, even the Weebly site that I designed, like the official website for the show. Um, it's currently down. It's under construction at the mo- moment, but uh, w- with the somewhat renewed interest, I've been thinking about going back in and doing some, uh, doing, uh, sprucing up the website and, br- and bringing it back. Like I said at the beginning, you also write articles for Game Rant. I know you haven't uh, written any for a bit, but what led to you getting into that aspect of things? Well, it's just that I've been doing a lot of, uh, in the last couple of years, I've been doing a great deal of uh, job hopping and job searching. Um, There was a point like where I was working, where I was working part-time at a midnight shift at a a UPS warehouse nearby. And the problem was like, it was part-time, it was the midnight shift. It left me so much time during the day that, like, I didn't know what to do with myself. And you know what? I need to, ch- I need to channel that. I need to find some time to, to do something fruitful. So now while I wasn't keen on bringing back the show right away, because I know everyone had, at the time, everyone had their own uh, busy personal schedule, so I decided to go online. I decided to, like, look up uh, – Look, look up writing jobs. Uh, there was one that came up in Game Rant that was for a movie, t- movies TV writer. But thankfully, I mean, obviously, since we have like you know so many wrestling TV shows out there, we have AEW Dynamite, we we have Raw, we have SmackDown. I mean, it was it was easy, basically, just to kind of like uh, base a number. N- number of my articles around the happenings of the of those of those shows and basically kind of put my own uh professional professional spin on it and and also and also like kind of like talk about you know some of the lesser lesser known subjects sometimes subjects that you know that wwe that companies like wwe don't really like to acknowledge as much or don't want to bring attention to uh such as the uh such as the whole drunk driving debacle with uh, with, uh, with with one Miss Tammy Lynn Sitch. Uh, that was that was that was one that was one circumstance which I covered a great deal on. And the thing is, that's kind of, that's kind of like I, I try I I as much as I like to keep things lighthearted, there are obviously going to be some subjects 
that connect back to pro wrestling that aren't going to be comfortable subjects for people to deal with. And this and what was going on with her and uh, the unfortunate tragedy revolt around her was just one of those subjects that I just felt the need to bring to light. Now, have you ever written an article and then the subject matter actually contacts you to either praise you or to correct some of the things you may have gotten wrong on the article or to condemn you for having written about whatever subject matter? Uh, I mean, honestly, um, no, I've never... I've never really, I've never had anyone like contact me. I've never had like Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar or, or, or Sonny or, or anyone like take the time to reach out to me. And, you know, like you said, either praise me or condemn me or uh, just like, you know, kind of like enlighten me on some particular tidbits that I might've missed uh, concerning what was going on with them. I mean that's kind of that's kind of been like a that's kind of been like a theme with me if if I may expand on on that a little bit. Um, there have been so many times like I've actually tried applying for work at a at WWE, and I've no and the thing is, at no matter what time, no matter what time I, I would apply, like whether it was like right as I was graduating or when I started the show or a few years into the show, like I would always fire up my resume. I'd always update it. I'd always apply and present myself in a professional manner when I was applying for work, whether it was as a writer, whether it was for a writer's job, a writer's assistant, production assistant. I'd always try to like, you know, the old saying, accentuate the positives, downplay the negatives. The problem was I never got a response. Like, no matter how many applications I sent out, no matter how professionally I worded things, no matter how, like, how mature I tried to come off as, it just, it just never, I, I never got that response. And it was just, it was kind of frustrating because, like you said, if I, if I had gotten any sort of feedback, whether negative or positive or even just, like, in the middle, constructive, I would have, appreci- I would have appreciated it because it showed that, hey, at least someone cares. But in, and it was this, and unfortunately, I had that same indifference here. I never got feedback on any of my applications. I never even got a phone call saying, "Hey, we thank you for applying, but you're not what we're looking for. We need someone with a little more experience in this area or that area. We need someone with a great deal more television experience, like produ- like like big like in a big name production." So, I mean, I do apologize for going a little off off kilter there, but I mean, to answer your question, no, I've never I've never gotten feedback in any shape or form. And when you do put out articles, uh, you write about uh, people that are fairly well known, obviously in the industry, have worked at the national level. What type of research do you do for this? Do you contact people in the larger companies to try to get information? Do you contact representatives of the people involved? What's the vetting process like as far as 
writing the article on the individual people? Well, essentially, I tr I mean, going on. I mean, going off of like the news I come across, I always try to like verify, like like verify. I always try to, like because sometimes like like you go to different sites, you go to different sites, like you go or four one one mania, or you go to like or you go to Wrestling Inc. And essentially, like sometimes you'll have like similar stories, sometimes you'll have conflicting stories, but like when you have one, when you have one like concrete line, so basically what everyone was talking about, like what everyone was talking about on radio concerning, like like say, okay, Tammy Lynn Sitch, for example, um, it's just that the bottom line was she was drunk driving, she was over the limit, and the person she ran into ultimately ended up passing away uh, due to their injuries. Now, as far as like the other circumstances, there were some minute dif differences. So, I mean, essentially, like as far as like as far as like source, I mean, as far as like sources, I mean, essentially, the best I could do was essentially checking with with the with, with the other with the authors, uh, some of whom I, I'm I actually I actually do know. Um, so, and that that was honestly the best I, I could do given the circumstances because obviously I'm not going to be able to contact a representative of of Tammy Lynn Sitch or or Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns and confirm their thoughts and feelings about like like the events surrounding them or in case of Lesnar and Reigns at the time their upcoming unification match. Essentially, the best I can do is take an educated guess on how I feel things are going to go. Fair enough. I mentioned earlier John Cena, and he, mm -hmm. very arguably the most famous wrestler out of Massachusetts in the last 25, 30 years. Uh, everybody knows John Cena from the Boston area. Do you find that most wrestling fans, when they think of Massachusetts and wrestling, think automatically of John Cena? Or do you think that there are other people out of Massachusetts that are more relatable as far as the fans go when they think of that state? Well, I mean, like I said, I mean, I mean you have like, I mean, you have another popular wrestler in Sasha Banks. The thing is, though, they never really played up her, her connection to Massachusetts as much as they played up John Cena's connection to, to the state. And, I mean, I think just based on that alone, the fact that Cena had – I mean, he had an upbringing in West, in West Newbury. I mean, he, 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 he was essentially always – he was a product – of Massachusetts, he he was born and born and bred here. I, I mean he. I mean I mean everything you. I mean most people tend to associate him with Boston rather than his hometown of West Newbury, which is perfectly fine. I mean, I mean I mean wrestling always does that. They basically take like the main city and associate that with their bigger stars, like a Sasha Banks, like a John, like like a John Cena. Um. And I mean, I, I have to say, it's like, 
he was the guy that, for better or for worse, that I grew up with who was a Massachusetts native, who was probably one of the, who grew into one of the biggest wrestlers, one of the biggest performers that I, I've ever seen. He had a connection with he had a connection with the fans. He had a, he had a connection with the audience at 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 home, live. It just I mean I, I can't I can't doubt it. I, I can't doubt just the absolute the, the butterfly effect that Cena has had on pro wrestling, sports entertainment, whatever you'd like to call it, um, for the last two decades. Now, obviously, in wrestling, too, you have the historical uh, wrestlers, like, uh, say, for example, Kevin Sullivan comes out of Massachusetts. Do you still hear a lot of people talk about guys like uh, Kevin Sullivan and guys like Killer Kowalski that had ties to Massachusetts, or even a guy like, say, a Bob Evans that was big in Ring of Honor several years ago. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Brutal Bob Evans because uh, I actually, I actually, I actually met him at at an an, an Evolve event uh, a few years back, uh, one that my uh, more recent co-host. Uh, Dan Kaufman and I visited. I, I ended up taking a photo with him. He was a very he was a very cordial individual, very 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 nice, very friendly. Um, and it was nice to know that like he was also like you, like you said he was a Massachusetts native. Uh, I was somewhat familiar with Killer Kowalski's um, um, history in in Massachusetts. Um, more that more about like who he trained like. Um, before I saw Impact's most recent event, I had no idea that he had trained both Kazarian and a fellow and a fellow Boston native, Eddie Edwards. So it's just like I said, I keep learning new little tidbits about pro wrestling each each and every day, and it's just like it's good. I mean, having watched the match between Eddie Edwards and Kazarian, I can honestly say it's good to see. Uh, Killer Kowalski's legacy being honored in such a way by by two of his best and brightest pupils. One of the things that has been becoming more and more popular in the United States over the last five or six years is Japanese wrestling. It used to be sort of a very small-scale niche audience in the United States that followed Japan. Now you see New Japan being popular enough that they're on American television, on Access TV. They do standalone right. tours of the United right. States, and they've become very, very popular here in the U.S. What do you think it is about the Japanese wrestling that has attracted wrestling fans in recent years, I think I mean just from I mean it just that it's different that it's like you said I mean they talk, talk about how it's a strong style how like it's like it's so easy to watch you know a wrestler like like sell a punch like sell a punch and just and just like take one punch and go and go down but then we watch the strong style of Japanese wrestling and we see these guys take punch after punch after punch, headbutt after headbutt, kick after kick, and basically just 
no sell it, basically like stonewall it. Like I mean, I mean, you even have like the. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm wrong. You have, I mean, you have a gentleman there who goes by the nickname of Stone because of. Um, I'm sure you'll fill me in on the name. I'm, I'm actually drawing a blank right here. Ishi. Tomohiro Ishii, yes, yes, thank you. Um, just for his ability just to, just to basically tank whatever's thrown at him, it takes a superhuman effort essentially just to keep the man down. And I think that's what's so fascinating about it. It's just like how much can these people take? I mean, you talk about like the he- – like that's like the heavyweight division. Then you, like, you, have, then you have the light heavyweight. Uh, I, you have a again. Correct me if I'm wrong. Here, here, the 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 time bomb, Hiromu, Hiromu Takahashi, uh, who's just has this. He's so charismatic. He's so, he's so out there, so outlandish, and yet he's 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 amazing in the ring. He 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 moves he moves around so he flo- he basically flows around. The ring, like he he can he, he can come at you from so many different angles, and it's just like it's not usually like a typical light heavyweight match. Like you don't see these guys like flying all over the place, pulling off like you know like four fifties and multiple springboards within the span of five seconds. Like I mean, they do they do do some of that, but at the same time, they also wrestle a very like technical. A technical style, which I think is remarkable. Like they they have like a willingness, they have like a tenacity to them, and I, I think just at the end of the day, it's just it's something different. It's something different that the American audiences haven't seen before, and I think that's what's drawn them to Japanese wrestling over the years. Now, am I saying that I'm a big fan of it? Some of it, yes. I'm not exactly a big fan of the 45, 50-minute matches that just tend to get drawn drawn out too far, especially depending on who's actually participating in the matches. But at the same time, I can appreciate like a good uh, like a good back and forth, like, you know, a climactic build, like is that is this going to is is he going to get the win? Is he going to get the win? Is he going to get the win off the knee strike? Is he going to get the win off his fin- finisher? You never know because every once in a while they surprise us with 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 a, with a kick out. Like you see a move that like like say like Ishi's Ishi's brainbuster, which is usually a game ender, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So I mean, I think it's just that also Japanese wrestling keeps you guessing. Like every once in a while they'll have a sudden kick out. It's like. Now what? One of the things that professional wrestling has had going back since the early days is Hollywood has always put out movies that either focus on professional wrestling where they have professional wrestling as a backdrop. There are tons and tons of wrestling-related movies out there. A Life with Mikey, The Wrestler, both versions. You have I Like to Hurt People. You have Ready to Rumble. You have No Holds Barred. There are so many out there. What would you say 
is one of the greatest wrestling movies that a new fan should seek out and watch. Well, I'll say this. Like, if you're going for something campy, like if you're, like, totally into the fantasy side of pro wrestling, you, you can't go wrong with Ray to Rumble. It's over the top. It's hilarious. It hangs such a big lampshade on all, like, the cliches in pro wrestling. It's just, I, I, I loved it growing up. It was one of my it was one of my fa- one of my favorite films to watch. Um, if you want to go for something that's more on like if you're taking if you take wrestling seriously like I do, um, you can't go wrong with the Mickey Rourke version of the wrestler. It's it's an alt it's a classic. It just like it plays up just like the sacrifice that wrestlers make just just to make a name for themselves. Just like they sacrifice their time their energy, blood, sweat, tears, and all that, and, and even even the bonds with friends and family just to, to, just to carve out their own little niche in the world. And ultimately, it comes down to them is like, how much are you willing to sacrifice to make it in the world? Or do you realize, or do you, at the end of the day, do you realize that you can still be a champion in the ring as well as a champion in life. It's, it's what you do with the gifts that you're given. Also, in the last 25 years or so, we've seen an explosion in wrestling-related books prior to McFoley releasing his first autobiography, you didn't see a ton of wrestling-related books unless they were like mainly picture-based. You didn't really have like history books or biographies. But since McFoley had that success, the market flooded with wrestling-related books, biographies, history of wrestling, history of certain promotions, all types of wrestling-centered books out there. What are some of the books that you might recommend to a new fan to sort of learn about professional wrestling? Well, I'm going to be honest. Reading, it, I mean, I know this kind of is ironic coming from a journalism major, but um, reading is kind of kind of like one of my like my weaknesses like i have i have read several several like several wrestling magazines i I've, i mean obviously pro wrestling illustrated i think is is something i'd recommend simply just so like you can get up to date on everything going on in pro wrestling in japan in mexico obviously in the states like you can keep track of all different promotions and all like the big events and all the big moments that are happening have been happening in the last couple of months. Now, as far as like books specifically, one bi- one biography that I read, um, one that I actually went um, when I was a ch- when I was a kid when I was a kid when I was just starting out liking wrestling, uh, was "It's True, It's True" by Kurt Angle. He, I mean, and I liked the biography. I, I did like it. I mean, I even like I even I met him at I met Kurt Angle at an autograph signing in 2001, and it was one of the more it was one of the more memorable uh, moments in my young life. Meeting 
one of the heroes that I had been idolizing up to that point. And I mean, his story is like, is actually very humble. He talked about like, even after like he won a gold medal for, for, for the United States, like back home, like he's just like, he just, he wasn't sure what to do next. Like he had done some local pizza commercials. He'd done some advertisements, but he, he, he was kind of aimless. He wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do. And then, of course, like, I mean, we find out that he was being propositioned by, EC, by Paul Heyman and ECW to come there. And then, of course, there was the – and then he ends up going there. And then we hear from his side of the story about the whole uh, controversial crucifixion angle involving Raven and Sandman and how initially it nearly killed his interest in pro wrestling. Like, he, he, is, he essentially at one point wanted nothing to do with it. And thankfully, thankfully, he he simply he simply walked away from ECW, not from pro wrestling altogether. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had Kurt Angle in WWE. So I just think like if you're looking for something like a, of a surreal path to pro wrestling, I would look at Kurt. I would look at Kurt. I would I would simply suggest looking at Kurt Angle's biography. I mean, it's it's a little dated. Like I mean. It covers like his initial entry into WWE, but I think it's like it shows that like not just because like he was successful in the Olympics doesn't mean he was automatically penned. He was automatically destined for pro, pro wrestling. It, it it was an it was an odd journey. It was an odd journey for him. Oh. Here in the month of June, a lot of fans may not be thinking of it, but eventually, in a few months, <coughs> excuse me, holiday season will be here. Mm-hmm. What would you say are some of the items available for wrestling fans? And we know there are tons and tons of different things from the largest of companies down to your local independent wrestlers selling items. But what are some of the things you might recommend people pick up for their holiday gift-giving needs? Well, I mean, one, I mean, one gift that I, I mean, that I was happy to have, and one that I was happy to give to my friend uh, Zach at the time, because uh, he was uh, graduating high school, and it was something I had had a long time was a uh, replica championship belt. Uh, it was the world. It was the original World Heavyweight Championship, not the uh, not the new Big W embossed one they have right now. Um, it's just because, like, I don't know. I don't know. There's just something special just about having just having it sit on on your shoulder. You, you, like, you felt. I don't want to say powerful, but you you felt like you kind of felt like you were part. You were you were part of the event, just you know, sitting there with a with a championship on your shoulder and thinking what could be, like maybe the hey, you know what, maybe this could be, maybe this could be something like I could look forward to if I apply myself, if I start training right now, I I could I could make it in the wrestling business. I mean, so yeah, like a replica championship. I mean, that was that was like that was like my favorite thing to have, and it was my favorite thing to give to Zach because I knew that he. Um, this being Zach had big aspirations of being a wrestler. And, you know, I just felt like, you know what, 
I want to help him. I want to help him get his start. I want to help him keep his dreams moving along. So, like, even when I had had a replica title for a few for a couple of years, I felt like with Zach it would be in better hands. Fair enough. Now, a lot of people when they get into professional wrestling, no matter what role they have, eventually most people will have the idea of running their own live event just to see if they can do it. Some people want to sustain it and have a promotion that lasts. Some people want to run just a one-off show just to see if they can do it or get a better appreciation for those that do. Is running your own live show something that's ever crossed your mind? Um, I mean, that's, it's, that's kind of a tough question because I, I mean, I mean, who hasn't like what fan hasn't thought about, you know, having their own show or like you said, even just a one-off, like having like, you know, like their, fr- like their friends and even like, you know, friends of friends come on, you know, put on a fun little show, have like some, you know, some kooky wrestling, ma- some kooky backyard uh, re- wrestling matches. And I mean, would I have liked to? Yes. Would it have been feasible? I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm I'm not a very I'm not a business savvy individual. I mean, I'll be, because I'll be honest. Like we, I mean, we we did the show for we did the wrestling connection for five six years, and I could tell you maybe about four or five episodes that ever hit like double digits. <laughs> And I mean that's not, I'm not slamming it. It's just like none of us none of us involved were like social media marvels. Like I mean we tried to do what advertising we could. We we tried like you know advertise like through word of mouth, through Facebook, through through Twitter, uh, through our YouTube channel, even through like like I said through the web through our through the show's official website. And the problem is just I mean and we certainly we were certainly like infamous. We were certainly like known. Because obviously, like you're interviewing me here now, like even like three three years after I left the show, and it's just, I mean, but the bottom line is, could could I would I like to, like maybe like do like a one off show just to see like if we could pull it off? Yes. Do I think I could put it put it together given enough time? I'm not so sure. Um, besides the promoting in, a lot of people will get into professional wrestling and they will work whatever job is needed, whether it is working as a security guard or the ring attendant or a photographer or work in the concession stand. Have you ever gone to a promoter and volunteered to work in one of like the roles that's needed on all the wrestling shows that aren't necessarily the roles of a talent. Um uh yes actually. I mean there was a time like I don't remember the exact 
name of the I believe it was I believe it was it was, I think it was New England Pro Wrestling. I, I may be mistaken there, but it was a promotion that I briefly tried out for. Um, I quickly realized that I was not really built to uh, to wrestle, nor to even like you know do a proper bump. Um, but I, I like I refereed a I, I refereed a match. I uh, I took part I took part in a, in a battle royal, um, and like I said, I, I helped I helped put the I helped put the ring together. Uh, I sat in on a couple a uh, couple of lessons from uh, from uh, from uh, one of one of the one of the doinks who uh, came in for a visit. Um, I mean, and even like when I like when I was out job searching over the last few years, I would sometimes run across a couple of local promotions. And I would I would ask them like I would ask the the proprietors like okay do you like do you need anyone like on your camera crew do you need do you, do you need anyone to help put like the ring together do you need anyone like on broadcasting or even just you know be part of like your like um you know just you know spreading the show via, like via word of mouth like a street a, a street crew. And it's just like anything I can do to be a part of things. And I mean, the thing is, I mean, they would say, okay, yeah, we'll get back to you. But more often than not, they never did. So it's not so much that I haven't tried to get my foot in the door with various promotions from local, like I said, from local promotions, like, like, like top rope to, uh, to AEW to WWE. Um, it's not that I haven't tried. It's simply that I haven't, I just haven't gotten much of a response for it. And it's like, I mean, after so many years, it, it kind of makes you think maybe I'm kind of barking up the wrong tree here. It's like, as much as I love talking about wrestling, like, like what we're doing here and now, it's like, maybe I'm just not meant to have like a professional role outside of like what I, I'm doing what I've done with podcasting. Simply may put in my name. I may not just, I simply may not, I may be overqualified. I may be underqualified. The problem is until I get that feedback that I mentioned before, I honestly don't know where I fit in, in any promotion, big or small. Everybody's path is different in wrestling for sure. So there's room for everybody. You just have to, Find the right role. Point. Well, we're down to the last few minutes of the show, and I want to make sure there is ample time for you. If you have anything you would like to say to the listeners, plug and promote anything you like, social medias, upcoming projects, your favorite independent group, anything at all, floor is yours. Well, thank you. Well, uh, I just want to give a shout out uh, to one of my very good friends, uh, J- uh, Julian Warren, or as he goes by in Top Rope Promotions, uh, Mr. Mr. J. Uh, he's he's been he, he's been he's been in wrestling school. He's he actually had his first match a few years ago uh, in in Top Rope, and I'm very proud of him. So Jay. Uh, keep plugging away. Keep keep striving, man. I'm I'm very I'm I'm very proud of you. Uh, I mentioned my my best friend Zach. Um, unfortunately, he uh, passed away uh, early last year. Uh, I've missed him a great deal. So I just want to take this time to uh, give a shout out to to his family. 
Um, he's he's had a fantastic spirit. He's ke- he's kept me going for so many years, and uh, I just I, I miss him greatly. Um, as far as um, as far as like projects go, like I said, I'm working on rebuilding the official website, uh, thewrestlingconnection.com. Uh, come check it out if you like. Uh, of course, we have the uh, we have the link in in the podcast for uh, our U, our official our YouTube channel. Uh, people can catch me on 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 social on social media. Um, Le Le Connection Ken Hill on 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 Twitter. Um, little little shout out to Chris Jericho there, and um, essentially. My, my best my best shout out to the viewers is simply like stay connected, not just to pro wrestling, but to each other, to your friends, to your family, to your loved ones. Be connected, get connected, stay connected. Thank you. Well, Kenny Hill, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. We definitely appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We'll have to do this again sometime, and best of luck to you as you get the ball rolling and get back into the swing of things. Well, I look forward to the next time we can talk, and and thank, and I'm, like I said, I'm honored. Thank you for having me on here. Like you said, it was nice to be able to j- kind of like jump back into the deep end, and uh, like I said, I look forward to the next time we talk. Absolutely, fans, jump on the YouTubes, check out the wrestling connection go to game rant look up the articles he's written very very uh, well done pieces i think you'll enjoy them so support kenny hill and what he does don't forget you can find me tomorrow in marysville washington at the strawberry festival major festival happening in marysville going to be a lot of people there combat pro wrestling having two shows 1 p.m and 4 p.m. So make sure you come and find us. We will be back with you Sunday afternoon. We will speaking of CPW by manager John Davidson, who is beginning his managerial stint with SP8. So make sure you tune in for us on Father's Day with John Davidson. Everybody stay safe out there. Get out there and support your local independents wherever they may be, and we will talk to you soon.